there's a lot of mornings I get up at three o'clock, three thirty, try to get out and catch birds because they're a lot more calmer in the dark than what they are in the daylight. So it's easier to work the birds in the dark. And uh, right now I've got the hack of life cycle going on. I've got birds that I'm still skinning. And at the same time, I got eggs going into my incubators and chicks coming out of the incubators. I got to set it, uh, hatch of chicks coming out tomorrow. And I just set a hatch of a, or a, a tray of eggs yesterday. But uh, at this point in the year, it's definitely the busiest. I've always found it interesting that there are people who spend their lifetimes trying to breed the perfect feather to tie the perfect fly. Today we're on the farm with Evan D. Brandt. And in today's episode, Evan teaches us how to tackle hackle. We find out more about Evan inheriting the Collins bloodlines and learn more about what goes into breeding the perfect hackle. I'm your host, Gordon van der Spey. Don't panic. This is The Feather Mechanic. What made you want to breed hackle birds? I mean, I understand a lot of people going into fishing, but not a lot of people going to hackle. Why? Why hackle? I was at Penn State and uh, wanted to bring fly fishing into everyday life. And I, I had some hackle at that point and... I started thinking, you know, I, I could raise birds like this. It started out, you know, I just wanted a dozen just to mess with. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, that's when I found the first birds. Uh, it took me about a year to find them after that. Somebody willing to part with them. A guy named Dustin Pond from Idaho had birds. Uh, they were more of a saddle line of birds. And I bought a dozen eggs off of him. And that's kind of how I got my start in it. So. After that, you know, it just, I've worked with those for a couple of years and a dozen turned, the dozen eggs, I think eight hatched out of the beginning. I had six hens and two roosters Mm -hmm. or no, two hens and six roosters. That's how it was. I'm sorry. I'm going back 10 years now. It's been 10 years this spring. Okay. Uh, But uh, I started out with those dozen or eight birds. And uh, I think the next year it turned into like 50. And then after that, it turned into 200. And that's whenever I met Jan. Uh, a friend introduced me to Jan. And he's the one who owns Bob's Hackle Farm. And that turned into, you know, well, let's see what we can do with this. And it turned into 500 birds and then 750 birds and 1,000 birds. And, you know, now I'm shooting for 2,000 this year. And, that's not even close to where I'd like to be whenever I say that's enough, but that's what we're going to shoot for this year. Anyhow, Charlie Collins recently gifted you his line of birds. So for the listeners who don't know who Charlie is, Charlie is probably one of the oldest hackle breeders in the States. How did that come about? So it would have been, 2017 i believe was the year i uh i was having some trouble with some stuff and jan told me to call charlie and see what he thought about it so i called charlie and that's the first i've ever talked to him and i called him and asked him about it told him who it was you know and to charlie's credit he could have just hung up the phone right then and there because hackle can be kind of a a cutthroat business 
But, you know, he answered my question and everything. And that was right before the Jersey show. And I told him, I said, well, I'm thinking about coming down to the Jersey show. So maybe I'll stop by and see. He said, yeah, stop by if you come by, you know. And whenever I went, I took some necks. And I asked Charlie if he would critique him and tell me what he thought of him, you know. And he told me this one needs stiffened up. That one needs, you know, longer get the web bread out of that, you know, and just, just kind of stuff like that. And there, I remember there was a Cree in that batch and it was one of Jan's and uh, Charlie told me, he said, now that one right there. He said, that one's good. He said, you could throw that into my pens and I wouldn't know it wasn't mine. And you know, that, that one made me, that one made me feel good as much as what he cut me down on those first couple capes. <laughs> that one made me feel pretty decent. You know, I'm like, okay, I got something I'm working with here. anyhow. <laughs> Charlie, is an extremely, let's call him an authentic person. You don't get people like Charlie anymore. He doesn't even have an email address. If, yeah. if you want to get hold of Charlie, you've got to phone him or write him a letter. Yeah, that's as old school as what old school gets. I mean, it's pretty neat. What I'm most impressed about is the fact that Charlie basically just gave you his hacker lines. So, I mean, he spends his whole life working and developing this gene pool of hackle birds and then he goes and gives them away like how did that happen tell us about that moment well that would have been probably two or three years after i met charlie Mm -hmm. Uh, okay i met him in 17 so this would have been 19 i believe and Mm -hmm. my phone rings one morning you know it's march i'm skinning birds it was like 6 30 7 o'clock in the morning and it comes up Elmira, New York. And I'm like, you know, I figured it was some bullshit call. But when I seen Elmira, I thought, I wonder if that would be Charlie by chance. And I picked up. And sure enough, it was. He just called me right out of the blue. He said, listen, I've got nowhere else to go with my birds. He said, and I was going to kill them off. He said, but I like what you're doing. And he said, I think you're a decent person. And I want to give you birds. He said, while I work towards retiring, I want to give you my birds. And he said, over the next four or five years, we'll work it that you come up and get my breeders every year. And by the time I retire, you know, you'll basically have my flock of birds. He said, because the older guys that got me started, you know, the Harry Darby's, the Doc Freed, Bill Tobin, those kind of guys, you know, they got Charlie started and they never charged him a dime. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody charged him for birds. They, they gave him, they gave him away like they, you know, the old school guys did. And um, he said, I want to do the same thing for you to honor them. He said, I know I could sell them. He said, I could sell them for a good bit of money. He said, but I, I don't need to make any more money off of my birds. He said, I'd rather see him go to somebody I know that's going to put the effort to him. So. Uh-huh. And, you know, the birds turned into everything. I mean, I, since he decided to retire now, I went up this last couple weekends ago. I brought home all his incubators. You know, he just – he will not take money for them. I tried to offer him money and absolutely will not take money for anything. You know, he had six tons of feed set in there. He gave that to me. <clears throat> I mean, it's 40 couple years worth of – Stuff that he's acquired, feeders, waters, everything, you name it, breeding pens. Uh, just 
thousands and thousands of dollars worth of stuff, and he's just given it to me. He will not take money for it. I've got some really big shoes to fill, in my opinion. What are some of the important things that that Charlie has given you, advice that he's given you in terms of how to go about breeding the birds? One one of the key things he said, and this one's always stuck with me, is check your feathers. He said, always check your feathers. He said, if you start getting stems that twist, <clears throat> he said, it's a mess to get rid of. And that, that one really stuck with me. He said, you know, because he, at one point in the game, he said he, he had some feathers that started to twist on him. He said it took him seven years to breed that out. You know, I mean, hackle is kind of one of those things where it takes a lifetime to progress and make it better and make it better. And in one generation, if you're not careful, you could screw it up and just be back to square one. Mm-hmm. So testing your feathers and, you know, tying with your feathers, I think is the most crucial piece of advice that he's given me. Uh, you know, and there, there's been other stuff, you know, this this to do that to do and stuff like that but i think the main thing is testing your feathers and spending time with your birds i mean there's just there's no way around it you can't have birds and not know how to tie a fly and make a right feather you know you know what i mean it's just essential for what we're doing to be able to know how to tie a fly okay and for and 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 just for our audience just to let them know we're talking predominantly uh about dry fly quality hackle. Yeah. Okay. Predominantly, obviously you breed hens as well for soft hackle and that sort of thing, but we're talking predominantly cocks, male birds. Yep. Yep. Predominantly roosters. I mean, that's, that's where you're, that's kind of the, the goose with the golden egg. You know what I mean? What are the qualities you look for in a decent hackle feather or a decent hackle bird? And, and a decent feather, um, I mean, shape is one of the main things. Uh, you, you, when you splay the barbs down, I mean, I'm trying to talk and not be able to show you, but when, when you splay the barbs down and you look at the actual shape of that feather, you got to have the right kind of taper to it. If you have like a reverse taper where it gets uh, narrower at the base, and wider at the tip, you know, that, that that's a massive feather. I mean, they tie decent, but it's not what you want to breed with. But in terms of, like, the most important factor of it is stem quality. I mean, if you yes. don't have a quality stem, you're not going to wrap your feather right. It's not going to work right for you. It's not going to work correctly for you. And that is the main thing. I mean, density comes into play. Length obviously comes into play. I mean, everybody looks at, you know, a 12-inch saddle or a 14-inch saddle, and they, they ooh and they all over it because it looks so long. And you could, yeah, you can tie 25 flies off of it. But when it comes down to it, your stem's your, stem's your main thing. And what are you looking for in an ideal stem? Thin, uh, flexible. But it's got to be strong. It can't be, you know, weak that it's going to break or anything like that. It can't be brittle. Uh, you know, you can't have too thick of stems. Some Sometimes uh, certain colors can get kind of a woody stem to it in our language. Uh, 
that means they're a little bit thicker like brown birds or you got to be careful in your browns they're pretty quick, pretty quick to get thick stems uh and once they start to get thick you know they'll start to the pop and they'll break and they'll get brittle but okay. definitely the flexibility and the strength of it do certain chicken breeds make for better hackle birds? Well, I'll put it to you this way. Uh, the old guys that started, it kind of started with the Bantams, uh, at least with the Catskill bloodlines and stuff like that. That's kind of where they, they worked from uh, because they had smaller feathers. Uh, you know, some of the, some guys, they'll breed the, uh, some of the Japanese birds for the long saddles. Uh, I mean, that would be a breed that would be probably able to be worked in. I've heard of breeders trying to incorporate that into their breeding program. And I played with that a little bit years ago. Uh, I bought a bird out. Of, I think it was from Texas and uh, used him a couple seasons. You know, it was, it was all right, but, once I got Charlie's stuff, I really started to focus on that just because that was the the really, really good stuff. You know, between Charlie and Jan, those two bloodlines kind of cross in between each other, too. I mean, uh, Charlie and Bob, who owned Bob's Tackle Farm in the beginning, they used to swap birds and stuff. And that was kind of... Uh, they were put together that way. So they're kind of connected in a sense. Do you find that you get different hackle quality from different colored birds? You were just saying now yeah. how sometimes brown birds, you've got to be careful because they, they can throw these thicker stems. Mm -hmm. um, tell me about how, tell me about how quality differs in terms of different colored birds. Absolutely. That, that's a really, really good question. Uh, you know, brown's a stiffer bird. Grizzly's a stiffer feather. Badgers a stiffer feather. Your duns tend to run a little bit more on the uh, the softer side. So that's kind of one of those things where you're breeding and you're setting up your lines and stuff. Sometimes it's good to throw like a badger into your duns to try to stiffen up your feathers a little bit. You're stiffening up your uh, your fibers, your feathers and stuff. And like I said about the browns, the browns, you know, their their stems will get a little bit thick on you, but they're a good stiff bird. Okay, so so I've also found that you know sometimes uh, your duns. Now, when we say dun, we're referring to the the color of the hackle, generally like a, a gray. There are various degrees of dun, but a, a gray, browny sort of colored feather. Uh, the, originally, Derby was breeding duns, and and they kind of do have softer softer fibers to them. Mm -hmm. Modern hackle, the modern hackle lines from, say, from the Hoffman lines, have extremely, nowadays, have developed into extremely stiff fibers. Um, do you think, um, do you think there's place for hackles with softer fibers? Uh, there is. There, there definitely is. Uh, you know, obviously, you're not trying to, make like a cork bug that's just going to skate right on top of the surface. You kind of want it down in that film a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. so, uh, sometimes I think you can get too stiff of feathers 
and a softer feather can definitely change the way a fly looks and everything. Uh, and, and a lot of time, you know, like grease comes into play. Like if you're going to grease your flies, uh, you know, gink was always the one back in the day. Uh, we use a lot of fly agra now to uh, mm-hmm. flip dry flies and stuff. So the, the reason why I say that is because if you look at original clink hammers, you know, the clink hammer that Hans van Klinken tied. If you look at original clink hammers, a lot of them were tied with dun hackles, and those fibers are a lot softer than more modern lines. And and why I'm saying this is the following reason. Softer feathers move better. If you look at this, these modern hackle lines, if you blow on the fly, say you hold the fly in your hand and you blow on it, those fibers are so stiff they don't move at all. Now, in yeah. faster water, that's fine. That's That's not a problem because just they help the fly float, and that's mm-hmm. fantastic. But in slower water, fish will often reject flies that that don't have inbuilt mobility or movement in them. So I find that sometimes those old-school dun hackles, those slightly softer, can work really well in slower water. Do you, do you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. Because you look at an insect's legs, they're not – like wires they're not bristles you know they're they're soft they're pliable they move they're not you know yeah stiff as a board floating on top of them they're not standing on top of the water you know? and and i do also think that sometimes it is possible to breed hackle that's too dense uh what are your thoughts on that yeah i i i'm kind of i i'd rather shoot for the middle of the road you know while I'm dense is a good thing and has its purpose, I, I do think you can get too dense. I mean, there's a lot of people out there stripping one side off a hackle right now because their flies just are too dense. And that that's one of the biggest things that I've heard customers say, you know, about some of the other stuff out there. It's getting too dense and they don't like the way it looks, especially a lot of the traditional style flies. It just, it doesn't look quite right. And, you know, while it's definitely got its purpose and for faster broken water, you know, it's great. Like you said, in your slower water, your slack water, where a lot of your dry fly fishing is, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the softer feather will outperform it. You know, while, yeah, you might have to grease your fly a little bit, that's not a big deal either. No. And I mean, a lot of people, if you, if you look at the way hackle gets used, a lot of people over hackle flies too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the whole Instagram thing with 75 wraps of hackle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Because if you think about it, flies float. Why? Because they offer resistance against the surface form. Yeah. All those layers are not touching the surface form. So literally they mean nothing. The, the last two or three wraps of hackle are, are the most important because they touch the water. You know, they offer the resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's sort of where it's at. Um, and what I also tend to find is that sometimes hackle can be too perfect. I think I think I think there's there's quite a magic in imperfection. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You know, it's just just like looking at the bugs. You know, when it boils down to it, you're looking at the bugs and trying to imitate that. They're not 
manicured little cookie cutter stamped out where they all, you know, this one's got a leg missing or something like, you know, it's, it's just kind of like that. So if you look at Hackle, there are, there are basically two schools of thoughts with regards to how to breed birds. The one is very scientific and the other one is scientific, but how should I say, more outcomes-based. Where would you say your philosophy lies when, oh, in I'm terms of how you breed them? I'm a farmer. It's Mine's outcome-based. I'm not a scientific person at all. I mean, I, I know a good bit about what I'm looking for and trying to set up lines and getting that, but it, it's more outcome-based than scientific. I'm not a scientific person at all. You know, when people say, I know some other breeders and they start talking about genomes and alleles and stuff. And I'm just like, I, I speak folk, or uh, Pennsylvania Dutch here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. So how would you typically go about uh, breeding for a certain uh, trait or, or, or trying to sort of perfect a specific line? So when your line or when you're trying to get a specific line or specific trait like that, what I do a lot of times is you know, I run like three or four families of each color every year. <clears throat> and I will line breed those. If I really like something about a specific bird, I'll line breed him, that rooster, back to his daughter's. And then the, the next year, I'll bring in fresh blood from the other, one of the other families that I have. That mm -hmm. way, you're, you, you don't breed the vitality. Because you keep inbreeding like that, you'll breed the vitality out. And you'll breed, uh, you'll basically get infertility pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So you got to watch and be very careful for that. Um, so that's how I do it, is generally is line breeding like that, fathers to daughters, and then I'll cross back to a different line. How many, how many generations does it take to, to achieve what you want to achieve, would you say? My magic number's always been like three. I mean, that, that first initial cross, it's never what you want. And a okay. lot of times when you breed that back, that second cross, you'll start to see it more in that third one is whenever you really see the magic happen. I mean, that, that's just from my experience. So, but it, the, definitely the first cross, it comes out and you're like, man, I didn't do anything. I didn't get anything that I was looking for. <laughs> do you think it's possible to lose uh, nice qualities in hackle feathers through overbreeding? Absolutely. Absolutely. You really got to pay attention because you start to lose. You know, one of the things that Charlie always said um, was don't pay too much attention at small feathers, you know, trying to chase that size 26 or 28, you know, that that's not important because once you start to get more of your small sizes like that, a lot of times your bigger size feathers, your tens and your twelves start to get soft or they'll start to get webby because they shift up the, up the head to get more feathers up there. So yeah, absolutely. To answer your question, you can. And the other thing I've also realized is at the moment, there's, there's quite a big preoccupation with Cree hackle. Oh, my God. Uh, 
What 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 is the fuss? What's the fuss with Creed? Let's talk about it. I don't know. I think it's just what people's gotten obsessed with, and like the everything else, the internet gets a hold of and blows something up, and it just goes insane. You know, when you got people paying four or five hundred dollars for a Cree saddle, it, it's not worth that. I, I'm sorry, but no, no way. There is no <laughs> saddle out there worth that kind of money. And to be honest with you about it, it takes a really, really dark Cree to tie. Everybody's like, oh, well, I can tie one Hackle Adams. Well, no, you really can't. I mean, you can, but it's it's just not dark enough to imitate the same as what a brown and a grizzly mix does. It, it, it looks – Cree's one of those feathers that looks pretty on a neck. But once you wrap it, it looks like bar ginger, in my opinion, like a dark bar ginger. I've also always found that. I mean, I once bought uh, a Cree. Get this. I bought it for $25 from Charlie. <laughs> and it was one of his, what he called his tires, tires grades or pro his, grades. His commercial grade. Commercial grades. That's it. And, uh, but it was beautiful. It wrapped beautifully. It was fantastic. But it, it did look better on the bird than, than when wrapped. When I spoke to him about it, I said to him, Charlie, if I was only allowed one hackle color, what would you recommend? And guess what he said to me? Bar ginger. He said bar ginger, but he also said grizzly because they're so versatile. Yeah. He says you, you can always dye a grizzly, you see. Yeah. But you can't always do that with, with other colors. Mm-hmm. How important is hackle color in terms of actually fishing the fly? How, how does it affect the effectiveness of the fly, or doesn't it? What, what's your take on that? I mean, don't get me wrong. You got your spectrums, your light spectrums, uh, light to dark and stuff like that, and that makes a difference. But I, I think really your hackle color is catching your fishermen more than your fish. Uh, <laughs> you know, not not to shoot myself in my foot or anything, but it, it definitely is not as big of a determining factor as what size and shape is, in my opinion, of the fly. Yeah. Profile is your main thing. I mean, that's what the fish go off of. So, now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there's not certain situations and circumstances where a fish would refuse something because it's got uh, a different color leg than what the naturals do. I'm not saying that wouldn't happen, especially on your, your heavier pressured water. But uh, really size, size and shape's your main, main thing. How do you go about picking a breeder candidate? Well, it, it, you really go through and you pick out – when you look in your pens, you can really see the ones that stand out. And say you got five or six barred gingers that you're going to use. Now, I'll keep three to breed with. And whenever I go through, you pick out the three best ones. So you start really that's, – that's when you can get really, really picky. When you got – three birds that look identical to the naked eye. But once you start really getting down and looking at the feathers, okay, this one's the size 12s are a little bit more webby than the next one's size 12s. That That's kind of where you can draw that line. It's like, okay, this one, this one doesn't get used. This one gets used. And that, that's how you get better 
quality year after year after year. If I was picking birds, I would focus I would focus very much on on the on the cocks, on the, on the male birds. But how important are the female birds in in terms of creating decent dry fly hackle? No, it's 50% they're just as important as a rooster. Everybody looks at everybody looks at the rooster as oh that's the magic thing. But if your hens aren't any good, your rooster's only going to be half as good next year. Anyone wanting to start out breeding hackle birds, what would your advice to them be? Don't do it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I wish Charlie told me that in the beginning, and I wish I'd listened to him because they. It took my fishing time to zero. I mean, like, I used to fish a fair amount for a dairy farmer. And anymore, if I get out four or five times a year, that's pretty decent. <laughs> you know. Uh, but no, in all honesty, if you want to start out raising hackle, I would suggest trying to find some good soft hackle. That That's kind of the, you know, it, it's hard to – to get good dry fly quality hackle, somebody to get rid of it. I mean, like I don't get rid of my birds. I've had, mm-hmm. I don't know how many people ask me to get rid of or to sell me bird, sell them birds and stuff. I won't do mm-hmm. it. I just don't do it. And that's the same way Charlie was it's the same way. A lot of these growers are. So to actually go out there and get good dry fly hackle, you're basically going to have to breed it. And it's going to take, you know, a lifetime to do it. Evan, thank you very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Where can people get hold of you? There will be a website, sidlinghillhackle.com, and then you can send me an email, uh, sidlinghillhackle at gmail.com. And I will say I am not the fastest person at responding to emails. Uh, Usually it takes me about a week to get back to you. That's just kind of the way it works. I I get up at 3, 3.30 every morning, seven days a week, and then milk cows too and crop all this ground. So I'm not the kind of person that can just set and type emails. So I usually ask people to just give me about a week to get back to you. 